The reading is taken from the book of James, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, which can be found on page 1214. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ellie Freeman, and I'm on the student team here. Um, and yeah, what a, a great, uh, challenging uh, passage we've got to, to look at together this morning. Um, we live in a society where we are constantly being bombarded with bold and extravagant advertising campaigns claiming that what they have got to offer us is going to completely change our lives. Whether it's a new phone, a new car, a new dishwasher, or even a new government, the promises that they make are that these things will completely change our worlds. <laughs> Um, I've got a few uh, here that, that kind of uh, brought a smile to my face as I was preparing for this. Um, I, here's a, a few uh, extravagant big claims that the car industry are making. So Mercedes-Benz engineered to move the human spirit. Porsche, there is no substitute. <laughs> Um, you know, these, these big, bold claims claiming huge things that, if they were true, would change our lives. <laughs> um, or uh, check out some of these. We, um, I think the, the most uh, amusing advertising campaign I ever uh, have come across was when we were out in Zambia. Um, there was a roofing company there called Harvey Tiles, which seemed to have monopolized the advertising industry. And every single uh, corner we turned, there was a huge billboard um, with one of uh, these advertising uh, um, advertisements. And to prove that I'm not just making this up, this morning, this very morning, I received a WhatsApp message from Hannah Blythe, who is currently out in Andola on her way to church. And she said, Ellie, I thought this might amuse you this morning. Um, and she said, sent me one of these. So a roof without Harvey tiles is like a school without teachers. There will be illiteracy. Um, <laughs> and the next one, <laughs> a roof without Harvey tiles is like an office without a cleaner. It might be filthy. <laughs> and the final one, 
a roof without Harvey tiles is like a face without a smile. It might be gloomy. Well, there we go. Um, it brought us much entertainment when we were out in Zambia. Um, but really, I'm not sure how true any of those claims were. <laughs> Because the problem with these big, bold, extravagant claims is that all too often we realize that the boasts that they were making actually were hollow and the promises completely fail to deliver. It's so easy to make bold claims, but so much harder to turn those claims into reality. And that is what James is getting at in this passage today. As he begins in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith? but has no deeds. And as Christians, we make some pretty bold claims. As we say that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the hope for the world, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We come together on Sundays to say these things, to sing these things, to sing things like we've just been singing, you are the Lord of all I am. Greater is he who lives in me than he who's in the world. God, you never let go. But does the way we live out our lives reflect these truths? It's so easy to say things, but so much harder to actually act on them. And in this letter, James confronts this conflict head on. And as Rupert was explaining to us last week, James isn't known for holding back. <laughs> we can't just talk the talk. We've got to walk the walk as well. And this is the challenge that James sets before us today. And it's one that, I don't know about you, but I need God's help with. I need him to teach me what this looks like. So let's pray and let's ask that God would help us uh, to, to get hold of this together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given your word to us to teach us more about who you are and how you're calling us to live for you. And God, as we look at this passage this morning, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? And Lord, would you change us? By the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So James in this passage is teaching us what true living faith looks like. And I just want to uh, bring before us this morning two things that I believe he's saying about what true faith is. And the first one is this. True faith leads to action. True faith leads to action. When we believe something, it has got to affect our behavior. I experienced this a few weeks ago. A friend invited me. Um, she'd uh, been given a gift uh, to go to a very posh hotel um, in Buckinghamshire called uh, Cliveden. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a very, very generous gift. Um, and she'd invited me to, to join her. Um, and I'd done my research, and I knew that this was a pretty nice kind of hotel, and one that I don't usually uh, go to. Um, when I arrived, I parked my little Renault Clio far enough up the drive um, to make sure that it wasn't next to the Audis and the BMWs and the Mercedes, which were all congregated by the hotel entrance. And as I made my way through the doors, I was greeted by these two doormen who said, good morning, madam, welcome to Cliveden, how may we help you? You know, we spent the day being treated like royalty as they, uh, you know, waited on our every whim. 
I was in a completely new environment. But that new you know, understanding of the situation that I was in totally changed the way that I behaved. The t shorts and t-shirt and flip-flops were left behind. <laughs> My walking pace was significantly uh, reduced as we kind of sauntered our way around the grounds of the hotel. And giggling fits over our three-course lunch and champagne river cruise were very carefully suppressed. You know, when we know that the situation we're in has changed, it has a big impact on the way that we behave. And in these verses, James is writing to people who seem to have forgotten this, who have got good at saying that they believe in God, who's good at saying they believe what he's done, but whose actions don't actually really reflect that at all. He's, got, um, he's writing to people who've got good at talking the talk, but are less good at walking the walk. And so James is challenging them and us. If this is who you are, if this is what you believe in, then you've got to start acting like it. True faith leads to action. You see, the kind of faith that James is rejecting in this passage this morning as dead and useless isn't true saving faith, but the mere acceptance of truths that have absolutely no impact on the way we live our lives. James knows full well that good works are not going to be able to save us. James knows that into our fallen world, God sent his son to die for us so that we could be adopted back into God's family. James knows that the onus of salvation is on God coming to rescue and restore and redeem. And he knows that we are saved by putting our faith in him. James knows these things. It's widely believed that he was Jesus' brother, so you'd expect him to. But James also knows that if the faith we're putting uh, in Jesus is genuine, if it is a true and living faith, then it's got to affect our actions. And, you know, we see that, don't we, in human relationships. When you love someone, it affects the way you behave. You don't just say, I love you, and then live life as if they don't exist. You know, just a few weeks ago, I celebrated my birthday, and I felt incredibly loved. Our lounge was full of uh, beautiful cards with encouraging messages of kindness and love. But, you know, there was nothing empty about the words that were written in those cards, because the friends and family who wrote them show me that love 365 days of the year, not just on the 17th of June when they're writing in my birthday card. If we really believe the truths at the heart of the Christian faith, if we really believe that Jesus is Lord, then it's got to affect the way we live, the decisions we make, the way we spend our time, the way we use our words, the way we spend our money. It's a complete game changer. And James, as I said, is writing to people who seem to have forgotten this. But the challenge for us this morning is have we. Maybe we know the facts. Maybe we call ourselves Christians and maybe we've been coming to church for years. But is it impacting the way that we live our lives? True faith leads to action. 
with true faith, believe, belief and behavior cannot be separate from one another. And that's exactly what James is saying in verse 18, when he imagines uh, somebody coming to him and opposing his view, saying, well, you have faith and I have works, as if the two are a mere reflection of personality or preference. But James's response is characteristically blunt. You show me your faith apart from works, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. <laughs> you know, he's being ironic. How do you know that that faith is there if you can't see it? What James wants us to understand is that far from being alternative options, I can have faith and you can have works. One is the proof of the other. Our actions don't substitute our attitudes but they do reveal them. And if we truly love God, if we have genuine faith in him, it will naturally overflow into the way that we live out our lives day by day, the decisions we make, the actions that we take. And when we start to live like that, people will start to notice. Just a few days ago, I was chatting to Josh, uh, who's on the student team, and he was telling me, um, or reminding me, about when uh, three years ago, he was invited to an evangelistic event uh, before he became a Christian that we were running here at Holy Trinity called Food and Jazz. Um, and at that evening, we'd invited a student to share a testimony of um, how faithful God had been to them when they put their trust in him. Um, it was exam term, and the student was speaking about how um, they decided to take seriously God's instruction to take um, some time off, uh, even in the midst of their exams, and they shared how faithful God had been in providing for them. And Josh was basically just telling me how he could not believe what he was hearing. He had never heard anything like this before in Cambridge. Students taking time off in exam term. What was that all about? And actually, Josh uh, thought that we were all pretty crazy. Um, but it did lead him to go away and consider who this God was that even Cambridge students in the middle of exam term would let their faith in him overflow into their actions in such a big way. You know, Josh noticed when their faith was turned to action, and it had a huge impact on his life. True faith leads to action, and when it does, people will start to notice. And then James carries on in verse 19, as he says, you know, you believe in God, good, he says. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You know, James is kind of carrying on with this slightly kind of uh, blunt approach. Even the demons believe in God, he says. You know, they know he exists, but for them, it has absolutely no impact on the way that they're living their lives. They don't repent. They don't worship. They don't follow God or obey him. Their response is simply to shudder at the thought of his existence and carry on with life as normal. And this is the useless dead faith that James is rejecting here. The demons knew the truth about God and they responded by rejecting him. But those who have true faith know the truth about God and respond by running towards him. Head knowledge and knowing the facts is not enough. The response of true and genuine faith is to trust him 
and commit our lives into his hands. I wonder if you've ever done the trust test where you stand in front of somebody and you fall back into their arms trusting that when you do that, they will catch you. You know, you may know that they're standing there ready to get you. (laughs) You may know that they are strong enough and able enough and kind enough (laughs) to catch you when you fall. But until you actually fall back into them, until you put your weight into their arms, then you're not really trusting them. You're knowing that they're there, but you're not letting your actions be influenced by that. And I think it's a little bit like that with our faith in God. We can say that we trust him. We can say that we believe in him. But do we let that affect our actions? Knowing about God is an important part of our lives, but it is not the end goal. The end goal is becoming more and more like the one in whom we're putting our faith. And this will happen as we walk with him and as we obey him and as we follow him and let our faith lead us to action in the big things, in the small things, in the times when it makes sense and the times when we've no idea what's going on, even when it seems risky. And this was something actually that one of our students came to discover over the last uh, year. I've asked her permission to share this story. Um, She uh, is a vet student, and um, she had um, in her, she's just uh, graduated now, um, and uh, in her second year, we'd asked her to be a risky leader. And she'd agreed and said yes. Um, But she phoned me in October as uh, she was on her way back uh, to Cambridge, being driven back by her dad. Um, And she was on the phone in a little bit of a state because basically um, her results and the way that things had gone over the summer hadn't gone to plan. Um, And she was really worried um, about what this meant um, in terms of her hopes of ever becoming a vet. And she was basically calling me to say, Ellie, I really felt God saying to me that you need to to do risky leading um, when you asked me back in June. But now I'm in this situation and I just don't see how it's going to be possible. If I'm going to pass this degree, I need to plow all my hours, all my time, all my energy into getting uh, this grade that I need. And when she got back to Cambridge, we met up and we went for a coffee together and we chatted it through. And over those first few days, Bex felt God challenging her in this whole area of faith and action. You know, she felt God challenging her that she'd been saying she trusted God, that she'd been singing songs about it, she'd been reading verses in the Bible and agreeing with them. But when it came to the thing that mattered most, when it came to her hopes of being a vet, she was trying to take control And so eventually she decided that she was going to do it, that she was going to continue to serve him by being a risky leader and in other ways too. And she stood up here just a few weeks ago at the end of term to share a wonderful testimony of how faithful God was as she put her trust, even with this greatest thing, this greatest hope and longing into God's hands. And God was so faithful and it was really wonderful to be able to celebrate that with her. If someone were to spend a week following us, (laughs) watching our actions, watching how we spend our time and our money and the decisions that we make and the words that we use, 
would they see that we're trusting God? Our motivation for good deeds isn't to earn our salvation. James knows that. But instead, it's because we trust that God has already earned it for us and that there is therefore no more secure place to put our lives than into his hands and pledge full allegiance to him. The security of the gospel sets us free to run wholeheartedly, as the psalmist puts it, in the path of his commands, confident that when we do that, he will not let us down. True faith leads to action. And secondly, true faith is available for everyone. True faith is available for everyone. Before James finishes this section of his letter, he uh, moves on to give a couple of examples of people who have demonstrated that true faith works. And the first up is Abraham, a father of the faith, a patriarch, a friend of God. Back in Genesis 12, we hear God uh, call him to go to a land that he doesn't know, promising that he will make uh, Abraham into a great nation. That is a pretty bold promise to make. But you know, it's even bolder when you realize that at the time, Abraham was 75, his wife was 65, and they had no children. A couple of chapters later in Genesis 15, God again promises him a son and tells him that his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But there's still no sign of a child and so when he gets to 86, he, he thinks that God doesn't know what he's doing. And so he takes matters into his own hands and has a child with another woman. But then, when Abraham is 100 and Sarah, his wife, is 90, God blesses them with Isaac, the one through whom God's promise could be fulfilled. Maybe, after all, Abraham could be a great nation but then, just five chapters after Sarah finds out that she's pregnant, we read in Genesis 22 how God calls Abraham to take Isaac, this child of promise, up a mountain to sacrifice him to God as a burnt offering. And as he's about to sacrifice his son, God calls him and says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. For Abraham, his faith didn't just remain head knowledge, but led him to surrender the thing he loved and longed for more than anything else in the world. What Abraham did on the mountain that day did not save him. In verse 23, James goes on to say that this fulfilled what the scripture said. And he quotes from Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, James knows that it was Abraham's belief in God, it was his faith in him that was credited to him as righteousness. You know, that verse comes seven whole chapters before Abraham does any of this. Abraham was saved by faith. But what James wants us to see is that what he did with Isaac proved that that faith was real. Proved that it was genuine, like that trust test 
he fell into the arms of God, even giving the most precious thing in his life. But maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, I'm not like Abraham. (laughs) You know, he is known, as you've said, as a father of the faith, as a patriarch, as a friend of God. And if they're the kind of credentials that are needed for true and living faith, then I don't stand a chance. Well, I love what Abraham goes on to do next as he gives us an example that we probably weren't expecting. He tells us about Rahab. And in verse 25, we read this. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them on in a different direction? Rahab was a Canaanite, pagan, immoral prostitute. But here she is being commended alongside Abraham for having true and living faith. She's got a very different story. But the same thing runs through both of them. Like Abraham, her faith in God led Rahab to act. And we read about her story in Joshua chapter 2 of how Joshua sent out two Israelite spies to Jericho. And when they got there, Rahab took them in because they were in danger and because of her faith, hid them and kept them safe, risking her own life in the process. In Joshua 2, 11, we read that she says, the Lord your God is in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab knew who God was. But she didn't just sit passively with that knowledge in her mind. Even when she was faced with the threat of the people coming to find the spies, she continued to do what God had called her to do. She let her faith influence her actions. She trusted God enough to risk her life by protecting his people. Like Abraham, her faith was made complete by what she did. And what I love is that both Abraham and Rahab appear in Jesus' genealogy at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. And both of them appear in the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You see, whether you're a patriarch or a prostitute, it doesn't matter. We are all saved through faith in Christ. What matters is how we live in response to that. So this morning, those of us who might feel at the bottom of the pile, who have got so used to looking over our shoulder and saying, well, I'm not as good as so-and-so, or I could never have the faith of so-and-so, it's irrelevant. It's not about that. It doesn't matter. We're saved through faith in Christ. What matters is how we respond to that. And that is open to every single one of us. The question is, will we let God transform us? Will we let our actions reflect our allegiance to God? Abraham did it, Rahab did it, and we can do it too. True faith is available to everyone, including you. And James finishes with these pretty hard-hitting words uh, in verse 26. Faith without deeds is dead. You've got to be serious, he's saying, about walking the walk as well as talking the talk. 
And maybe today you know that there are specific areas of your life where you've been quite good at talking the talk, but less good at walking the walk. Maybe you know the facts. Maybe you even believe them to be true. But at the moment, you know that in certain areas of your life, that isn't translating into action. Well, this morning, the good news is that it doesn't have to stay like that. It doesn't have to always be the case. But it is not going to change by gritting our teeth and trying harder in our own strength. If we want to change, it starts by lifting our eyes to him who can help us to change. It starts by God revealing himself to us, by God reminding us of that truth of who he is and what he's able to do when we lean into him. It was Abraham's faith in God that led him to do what he did. It was Rahab's confidence in God that led her to hide the spies even in the face of danger. It was Bex's understanding and growing understanding of who God was that let her trust him, even with her vet degree. And this morning, we can ask God to open our eyes to see him afresh, to give us the gift of faith. True, genuine, living faith isn't something we strive for. It is a gift from him. We can ask him for it. But as we do, we've got to be prepared to change. And as we put our faith in him, as we fully pledge our allegiance to him, there is no more safe or secure place that we can be. When we say yes to him, not just with our words, but with our actions too, we will not regret it. You know, as Abraham let his faith influence his actions, God intervened. And God said, you know, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And, you know, God did provide. In the, he provided that day for Abraham, but also he provided hundreds of years later for all of us when he sent his own son up that same mountain to do a work greater than any work we could ever do. Winning a victory over sin and death that no amount of our good works could ever earn us. And when we get that, when we realize who he is and what he's done for us, we cannot help but respond by giving not just our words to him, but our whole of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed it to us to bring us life. And God, I pray today, particularly, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see you afresh. Father, I pray that uh, where we've got good at talking the talk and less good at walking the walk, you would help us that you would reveal yourself to us afresh, that you would give us anew today that gift of living faith. And Father, as we see you, may we be propelled to live lives in response to that. Confident, Lord, that when we fall into you, when we lean into you, God, when we go all out for you, that you do not let us down. You do not fail us or disappoint us, 
But Lord, as we've already heard and sung this morning, you are faithful and you are good. God, would you help us to be transformed more and more into your likeness as we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.